0: Hello everyone, today is January 24th, 2017. I'm your podcast host, client manager John Niggle of InTouch Manufacturing Services. InTouch is an American-owned company headquartered in Shenzhen, China that specializes in everything from quality control product inspections to factory audits, social compliance, and sourcing. The topic of today's podcast is three mistakes importers make with quality control checklists. And joining me to talk about that is manager of client services, Oliver Neck. So welcome, Oliver, how are you?
1: Thanks, John, I'm good.
0: Awesome, so quality control checklists are sort of a fundamental part of inspection. I mean, some importers choose maybe not to use them or not to you know, create a physical document for the purposes of inspection, but it does help to have one in place and it can play an important role in the inspection process and getting the right product that an importer wants and, and meeting their requirements. Can you tell us a little bit more about a QC checklist and you know what that might look like?
1: So a QC checklist is a document which outlines the quality requirements for the product and how they should be implemented. The real purpose of this is to make a black and white standard for how the product should be considered during inspection. So it will include things like the inspection process, so laying out in steps how the product should be inspected. It will also include things like how to classify potential defects found. And it's not possible for every kind of defect and it's not possible for every kind of product, but ideally in as black and white terms as possible, putting an obje- objective criteria, so applying tolerances, for example. For some products that we inspect, That have to have a good surface finish, for example, if that's a really important thing for the product because the customer's going to see the surface finish, then, you know, for example, maybe they will put a a standard which says that a scratch or something cannot be more frequent than, let's say, three points within a 10 centimeter area, or that a, a scratch cannot be longer or wider than a certain measurement. That's sort of an example of how tolerances are applied. It will also outline any special equipment required for the inspection. Some of that might be taken by the inspector on site and some of that might require the factory to have certain equipment to be able to conduct tests and then it will also outline any special tests that that are to be carried out. The QC checklist that we develop are normally quite comprehensive documents They should be comprehensive enough to be able to provide all of that information, but it also should still be concise because it is a reference document that needs to be used practically in an inspection. And if you've got volumes of papers for an inspector to sift through, then that's not really a usable document.
0: Right. Yeah, I think the key there that you mentioned there at the end is to have a concise document. And I think different importers are more strict about requirements than others. You mentioned. The example of checking the quality of a surface finish, if something is maybe glossy and it's meant to be a matte finish, that's something maybe more obvious, but maybe the importer wants the inspector to have a tool to measure how glossy the surface is. So that's an example of where one importer might have you know, less clearly defined criteria and might be more lenient, whereas another might be a little bit more strict about that and they want to quantify the differences as much as possible. So let's jump into these three mistakes that importers make with these kinds of checklists. Starting with the first one, which is assuming QC staff and your supplier are aware of all known quality defects. So how is that a mistake? I mean, sometimes suppliers, you know, they're used to making the same products oftentimes order after order for similar customers. Likewise, QC staff are often experienced with certain product types like furniture, or garments, or textiles, things like that. So why is it an issue to assume that they're familiar with the product, they should know what to look for in terms of defects?
1: Well, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult to know all the kind of potential defects that could be found on a product when it's mass-produced. Things can come up over time. There was an example the other day where we found one of our client's products had a mold mark, like a, let's, we're talking about plastic molded part, a mark in it, which we'd never seen before. That was due to a maintenance issue. Now, our particular documentation didn't really specify that. That's a new issue for us. The document will ideally evolve over time. You'll add those things in when you see them. Coming back to the original question, quite often our clients are coming to us because they have experienced issues with a product that they've been buying from China, and that's why they want to have it inspected before shipment. So the more information we know about the kind of issues that they've been having with the product helps because our inspectors will apply an objective criteria, but if we know the specific issues to pay extra attention to, then that is helpful. At the same time, some importers, especially these days selling on Amazon, people are buying products from China that they may not have intimate knowledge of. They may not have designed and developed the product themselves. They're just simply buying it from a factory. And they also may not really have a lot of experience on the manufacturing process, so they won't really know the kind of defects to look out for. In that case, you know, we can provide a general idea based on our already developed protocols, what kind of defects could possibly be found with their product.
0: Right, so it's important to mention or account for all these different quality issues that are known in the QC checklist because like you were saying, if it's not there and it's something new, the inspector or the supplier might not even realize that's an issue. So that's why importers should be including that in the checklist and updating it regularly. We'll go through sort of, a number of revisions so that it stays current. And if they find new issues and they add them, then they can look out for them in the future.
1: Is that right? Yeah. And it's also important that the client and the factory agree on those standards. Let's say a client develops a QC checklist and it might be very comprehensive and great and very detailed, but their standard or their tolerances, their requirements for the product might be not achievable by the factory in mass production. The thing they've described may be the quality standard that could be achieved on a $200 product, but on a $2 product, you can't apply the same standard.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a good point too, is that it's reasonable to expect a higher level of quality on a more expensive product where, you know, maybe more sophisticated manufacturing processes are at work. Whereas if something's a cheap product, you know, a promotional product or a disposable product, Importers generally should expect to be a little bit more lenient with the QC checklist and the types of quality issues to look out for. The second mistake that importers make commonly with QC checklists is omitting defect classification or tolerance. And you sort of touched on that a little bit when you mentioned, you know, the pricing of the product usually relates to the quality of the product and the buyer's tolerance of different quality defects. But why is it important to classify those in the QC checklist? And what does that look like when they do that? how do they classify those?
1: So typically what I normally advise our clients is when they're starting from a blank piece of paper, let's say for a product to develop an inspection criteria. First, let's start with the inspection process. How, if they were here in China, how would they inspect the product themselves? Our inspectors are their hands and eyes and ears here in China on the ground. So we want to be inspecting the product in the way and applying the standards that the client would apply themselves. So firstly, by going through the inspection process, how do you handle the product? How do you look, which, which angle do you look at it from? And then based on the materials and the construction of the item, what are the possible defects that could be found on the product? And it may not need to be so specific at the start. As we've touched on already, the document should be evolved over time. So it can be starting as in as simple terms as any visual imperfection should be considered in terms of how long, how wide, or how frequently it occurs on a product. Quite often for some products, we'll advise clients to consider different areas for, let's say, applying like a visual defect tolerance. Any surface that the client is going to see or that's important for the visual quality should be considered like an A area. And then you can have, if the, the back of the product is not going to be seen or is, is hidden, then it should be considered at a different standard because otherwise it's unfair to consider the visual defects for both those sides on one product. So that's visual defects. Then you have like dimensionally, defining dimensional tolerances for the product, depending what the product is and what the manufacturing process is. Some you know precision components have to be exact measurements to the .001 millimeter, something that precise, whereas something like a wooden spoon doesn't need to be precisely a certain length or width. So, yeah, visual dimensional performance. So particularly for electrical products, the the power rating, that should be tested. And if it's less or more by outside a certain tolerance, then that needs to be defined in the checklist. So yeah, visual, dimensional, performance, they're the main ones that cover sort of a wide range of different product types.
0: Okay, so these are all things that should be included in in the checklist. You know, naming specifically the defect, what it might look like. Oftentimes importers will include a photo of what something could look like or how they've seen it presented before. If they can quantify it, as you've said, by, by measuring the the size of the defect, if it's a visual defect, for example, or if dimensions are out of tolerance, often the the importer can provide a tolerance for that and say, okay, a scratch is two inches or or less in in length. Therefore, it's a you know not a major defect. It would be a minor defect, whereas anything more than that could be major, considered major. So I think too, you know, adding these to the checklist is something that the supplier, like you mentioned, supplier and the inspector should agree on beforehand. The supplier might come back and say, well, that's not really reasonable to expect not to find a particular issue in some quantity. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, we mentioned it before, but it's really about establishing an objective criteria on how to consider the products. I had once a client had a pretty specific QC checklist that they wanted us to use for inspection and they had provided it to the factory and the factory actually called us and wanted to review each point point by point on how we were going to interpret that and it was probably the first and only time a factory has ever done that but it was really good because there were a few points that they didn't agree on with the client and then they said okay that's good that they understand that they went back to the client and further discussed those points and were able to come to an agreeable standard that was then used in inspection whereas I think most importers will find that a factory will say yeah 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 okay no problem and then the defects will be found after production. So having that clear standard agreed upon by the factory is super important because then it's more likely that their own internal QC will also apply those standards and hopefully then your third party inspector goes on site inspects and gives a pass rating.
0: It's a good point, too, uh, near the end about having that benefit of seeing it first. Often the supplier will let their internal QC staff know to look out for those issues also. And it sort of helps, I think, a little bit with the accountability. The third mistake that importers commonly make here with checklists is failing to include any on-site tests. So on-site testing is pretty common. I think most product types have some testing associated with those product categories that are pretty standard. And other times... Even if the product's not unique, an importer might have tests that they want the inspector to do at the factory when they're inspecting. So why is it important to include on-site tests in the QC checklist?
1: On-site tests are important because a lot of products aren't just things that need to be visually appealing. They have certain functionality and, and performance that needs to reach a certain standard for it to provide the purpose to the customer. So going back to the example of electronic products, that's one where, okay, visual quality of the product is one aspect of it, but if the thing doesn't turn on, it's useless. So on those kind of products, it's important to list out the kind of tests that there should be undertaken to ensure that the product works as it should. So for example, let's say a TV, turning it on, making sure it has the correct languages inside for the menus, We call like a high pot test. It's an electrical safety test that basically ensures the integrity of the wiring system by sending a high charge through the unit. Things like that should be outlined in advance. And, you know, normally a QC company will include those kind of tests as standard for certain product types. But often clients have more requirements that they need tested. For the on-site test, it's, it's also important to establish, based on the tests required, what can actually be done on-site at the factory. Often factories that make a certain type of product will have specific testing equipment related to that kind of product because that's what they do. For example, we work with a sporting goods company. The factory has special equipment that is designed to be able to test the integrity of that equipment. For example, protective equipment that it can withstand certain force or resist certain impact uh, tolerances. So it's important to make sure that the testing that the client requires can be done on site. And if not, then maybe we need to pull samples to send for lab testing. Or in some cases, a client might actually purchase equipment to put at the factory for the purpose of testing their products if the factory doesn't have that equipment.
0: So I guess the key points here are to talk with your QC team about any on-site tests that you plan to have them do and also they can recommend some tests oftentimes as well that would apply to your product. And then with that knowledge in hand, go back to your supplier and make sure that they have any of the equipment that they need for that type of on-site testing. And, and also include all of this in the QC checklist from the test, the procedure for the test, pass-fail criteria, the equipment that they need and who's going to provide it at the factory to make sure that everyone's ready to go when inspection rolls around. Is that right?
1: Yeah. And also ensuring that the supplier makes that equipment available when the inspection happens.
0: I think the conclusion here or the lesson, the main takeaway for importers here is getting the QC checklist right and avoiding these mistakes is important because the QC checklist is probably the most important, if not one of the most important documents that they can have on hand to make sure that their product is being held to the right standard and that inspectors are looking at it as if you know, the importer himself or herself was at the factory checking it on their own. And the more clear, the more detailed, while concise they can be with this QC checklist. Generally, the result is, you know, a better relationship with their supplier. Often it prevents delays when things might need to be reworked that, you know, the supplier didn't realize would be an issue ahead of time and the customer gets a better product in the end or one that more closely fits their expectations. Would you add anything to that?
1: Yeah I think at the bare minimum an importer should have obviously the PO that they place with the factory and then a supporting document whether that is a QC checklist or just even you know if it's not such a complex product at least some sort of document that outlines the basic quality requirements in an objective way that the factory can agree to because if you just simply place a PO with a factory for a product without defining how the standard that it should be and just saying I want I want it to be good quality. It won't lead to you receiving ultimately the product that you require.
0: Absolutely. With that, I'd like to thank Oliver for joining me to talk about these three mistakes that importers make with QC checklists. So thank you, Oliver.
1: Yeah, thanks, John.
0: And I want to thank our listeners for tuning into today's episode and remind you guys to check us out on our social media channels, namely Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, for some daily tips, news, and advice there related to manufacturing. You can also check out our Stitcher account. You can subscribe there to our podcast feed. And you can check out our SlideShare account for some presentations there. And if you'd like to get in contact with us directly, you can drop us a line on our company website. That is www.intouchquality. Dot .com thank you